The following article by A.W. Pink is called The Doctrine of Assurance of Salvation. What are its hindrances, maintenance, and fruit? Question. Are all true believers at all times assured of their present being in a state of grace, and that they shall be saved? Answer. Assurance of grace and salvation not being of the essence of faith, true believers may wait long before they obtain it and after the enjoyment of it may have it weakened and intermitted through manifold distempered sins, temptations, and desertions. Yet, are they never left without such a pretense and support of the Spirit of God as keeps them from sinking into utter despair? Westminster, Larger Catechism, Question 81. Just as the absence or the loss of bodily health is not always attributable to the same cause or occasion, Neither is the absence or diminution of assurance always to be accounted for in the same way. And just as any doctor who used only one medicine for the healing of all diseases would exhibit his crass incompetence, so any Christian worker who prescribes the same treatment to all soul diseases at once declares himself a physician of no value, Job 13, verse 4. There are degrees of health, both of body and soul. And this is to be ascribed in the first place to the high sovereignty of God, who distributes his gifts, both natural and spiritual, as he pleases. Yet, while we cannot impart health to ourselves, we should use legitimate means which, under God's blessing, are conducive thereunto. So also, we may through our sinful folly undermine and destroy our health. The same holds good in the spiritual realm. In many cases, lack of Christian assurance, or a very low degree thereof, is due to a poor state of health. Bodily infirmities react on the mind. Low physical vitality is usually accompanied by lowness of spirits. A sluggish liver produces depression and despondency. Many a person whose soul is now cast down would be greatly benefited by more open-air exercise, a change of diet, and a few doses of castor oil. Yet, we are far from saying that this course would result in the recovery or increase of assurance of salvation, for spiritual effects cannot be produced by material agents. Nevertheless, a removal of a physical hindrance is often an aid. Who can read the word to profit while suffering from a nerve-wracking headache? What do we wish to make clear is that, in some instances, at least, what is regarded as a lack of assurance is nothing more than physical inability to enjoy the things of God. Nor do we mean by this, and none are blessed with the joy of the Lord, while their bodily health is at a low ebb. Not so. There are striking cases which show the contrary, but it still remains that many are missing much spiritual good through their disregarding the elementary laws of physical well-being. The assurance of some of God's dear children has been hindered by a defective ministry. They have sat under teaching which was too one-sided, failing to preserve a due balance between the objective and the subjective aspects of the truth. They have been encouraged to be far more occupied with self than with Christ. Knowing that many are deceived, fearful lest they also should be, their main efforts are directed to self-examination. Disgusted, too, by the loud boastings of empty professors, 
perceiving the worthlessness of the carnal confidence voiced by the frothy religionists all around them, to hesitate to avow the assurance of salvation lest to be guilty of presumption, or be puffed up by the devil. Yea, they have come to regard doubtings, fears, and uncertainty as the best evidence of spiritual humility. Now, while we are by no means prepared to sanction the idea last named, yet we have no hesitation whatever in saying that we much prefer it to the presumptuous claims now being made by so many. Or rather, would we cast in our lot with a company of lowly, pensive, self-distrustful people who exclaim, "'Tis a point I long to know." Often causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I his or am I not? John Newton. Then fraternize with those who never have a doubt of their acceptance in Christ, but who are self-complacent and haughty, and whose daily walk compares most unfavorably with the former. Better far to be weighed down by a sense of my vileness and go mourning all my days over lack of conformity to Christ and remain ignorant of my real estate, and go about light-hearted and light-headed, wearing a smile all the time. But surely there is a happy medium between spending most of my days in Doubting Castle and a slough despond, so that I am virtually a stranger to the joy of the Lord, and experiencing a false peace from Satan which is never disturbed by the voice of conscience. Holy assurance and lowly-heartedness are not incompatible. The same apostle who cried, A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Also declared, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12 is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, summed up by his dual experiences. We too are sorrowful daily if God has opened our eyes to see something of the mass of corruption which still indwells us. Sorrowful too when we perceive how far, far short we come of the example which Christ has left us. Yet, we also rejoice because God has not left us in ignorance of her dreadful state. Did he is planted within us deep yearnings after holiness? And because we know these yearnings will be fully realized when we are freed from this body of death, the assurance of other saints is greatly dampened by the assaults of Satan. There are three principal things which our great enemy seeks to accomplish. Incite us to sin, hinder the exercise of our graces, and destroy our peace and joy. If he fails largely in the first two, he is often very successful in the third. Posing as an angel of light, he comes to the soul preaching the holiness of God and the exceeding sinfulness of sin, his object being to overwhelm the conscience and drive us to despair. He presses upon the Christian the awfulness and prevalence of his unbelief, the coldness of his heart toward God, and the many respects in which his deportment and actions are unchristlike. He reminds him of his numerous sins, both of omission and commission, and a more tender be his conscience, a more poignant or Satan thrusts. He challenges him to compare his character with that given of the saints in scripture, and then tells him his profession is worthless, that he is a hypocrite, and that it is mockery to take the holy name of Christ upon his polluted lips. 
So many succumb to Satan's efforts to disturb their peace and destroy their assurance through not knowing how to meet his attacks and through forgetting that scripture is very far from representing the earthly lives of God's children as flawless and perfect. As a general rule, it is a bad thing to acknowledge the truth of Satan's charges when he declares that I am still a great sinner in myself. When he asks me if such and such a lusting of the flesh be consistent with the heart in which a miracle of divine grace has been wrought, I should answer yes, for the flesh in me has neither been eradicated nor refined. When he asks, how can such doubting consist with the heart to which God has communicated saving faith? Remind him how scripture tells us of one who came to Christ saying, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But the most common hindrance to assurance is the indulgence of some known sin. When a Christian deliberately follows some course which God's word forbids, when he lives in some unwarranted practice, and God has often touched him for it, and his conscience has been sorely pricked, and yet he perseveres in the same, then no wonder if he be destitute of assurance and the comfort of the Spirit. The cherishing of sin necessarily obscures the evidences of divine sonship, for it so abates the degrees of our graces as to make them indiscernible, allowed, sin, dims the eye of the soul, so that it cannot see its own state and stupefies the heart so that it cannot feel its own condition. But more, it provokes God so that he withdraws from us a benevolent light of his countenance. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Isaiah 59.2 The sad history of David presents a solemn case in point. His fearful fall brought with it painful consequences. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. But blessed be God, his earthly life did not end while he was in this lamentable state. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. In mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 32 verse 5 Further light on the deep exercises of soul through which David Pass is given us in Psalm 51. There, we hear him crying, Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This leads us to consider the maintenance of assurance. Here again, there are two extremes to be guarded against. The fatalistic lethargy of, I cannot help myself, and the Arminian effrontery which affirms that the remedy lies in my own hands. Spiritual assurance is a divine gift. Nevertheless, a Christian has a responsibility for preserving it. It is true that I cannot speak peace to my own conscience, or apply the balm of Gilead to my wounded heart. Yet, 
I can do many things to grieve and repel the great physician. We cannot bring ourselves near to God, but we can and do wander from him. Of ourselves we cannot live to God's glory, but we can to our own. Of ourselves we cannot walk after the Spirit, but we can after the flesh. We cannot make ourselves fruitful unto every good word and work, but we may by disobedience and self-indulgence bring leanness into our souls and coldness into our affections. We cannot impart health to our bodies, but we can use means which, by God's blessing, further the same. Holy assurance cannot be maintained unless a Christian keeps his heart with all diligence. Proverbs 4 verse 23 Watch ye and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Mark 14 verse 38 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. There must be a watchful fighting and contending against the whole work of sin in its deceits and power with all the contribution of advantage and efficacy that it had from Satan and the world. This the apostle peculiarly applies it to in the cautions and exhortations given us to take heed of it, that we are not hardened by it. Seeing its whole design is to impair or destroy our interest and persistency in Christ, and so to draw us off from the living God, in quote. John Owen. More especially, does a Christian need to pray and strive against presumptuous sins? Right hands must be cut off, right eyes plucked out. A gangrene member must be amputated or death will soon ensue. Cry mightily unto God for enabling grace to mortify besetting sins. Remember that a deliberate running into the place of danger, a willful exposing of myself to sin's attacks, is a tempting of the Lord. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it, and pass away. Proverbs 4, verses 14 and 15. Oh, what circumspect walking is called for in a world which abounds with pitfalls on every side. Number 2. Holy assurance cannot be maintained unless the Christian be diligent in cherishing his graces. A Christian is one who has been made a partaker of those spiritual graces which accompany salvation. Hebrews 6, 9. And for the establishing of his comfort and joy, it is necessary that he know himself to be in the possession of them. The best evidence that we are in a state of grace is to grow in grace. For this, there needs to be a daily constant cherishing and laboring to improve and strengthen every grace by which we abide in Christ. Neglected grace will wither and be ready to die. Revelation 3 verse 2. Yea as to some degrees of it, and as to its work in evidencing the love of God unto us, or our union with Christ, it will utterly decay. Some of the churches and the revelation have lost their first love as well as left their first works. Hence is that command that we should grow in grace, and we do so when grace grows and thrives in us. And this is done two ways. 
first. When any individual grace has improved, when that faith, which was weak, becomes strong, and that love, which was faint and cold, becomes fervent and is inflamed, which is not to be done but in by the sedulous exercises of these graces themselves, and a constant application of our souls by them to the Lord Christ. Secondly, by adding one grace to another, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and so on. Second Peter 1 5. This is a proper work of spiritual diligence. This is the nature of gospel graces because of their concatenation in Christ, and as they are wrought in us by one and the self-same Spirit. The exercise of one leads us to the stirring up and bringing in the exercise of another into the soul. End quote. John Owen. Number three. By keeping short accounts with God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Note the intimate connection there is between thee things. There cannot be a sincere and hearty approach to God as worshippers while the guilt of sin is resting upon our consciences. Nothing more effectually curtails our freedom and draw near to the thrice holy one than the painful realization that my conduct has been displeasing to him. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God, 1 John 3, verse 21. But, strive as he may, walk as cautiously and carefully as he will, in many things, the Christian offends, James 3, verse 2, daily, both by sense of omission and commission. Yet, blessed be God, provision has been made by our loving Father, even for the sad failure of ours. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As soon as we are conscious of having done wrong, we should unbosom ourselves to God, holding nothing back, but freely acknowledge each offense. Nor should we fear to do this frequently, daily, constantly. If the Lord bids us to forgive our sinning brethren until seventy times seven, is he less merciful? He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them in heart and purpose shall have mercy. Proverbs 28 verse 13. Number four. By cultivating daily communion with God, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Observe the connection between these two statements. Fullness of joy, which in this epistle largely is referenced to walking in the unclouded assurance of our divine sonship, is a fruit of fellowship with the Father and His Son. But what is signified by the term fellowship? Many seem to have been vague and visionary ideas of its meaning, oneness of heart and mind, common interests and delights, unity of will and purpose, 
Reciprocal love is what is denoted. It is fellowship in the light, 1 John 1, 5 and 7. This was perfectly realized and exemplified by the Lord Jesus. He walked in uninterrupted communion with the Father, delighting in his will, keeping his commandments, always doing those things which were pleasing in his sight. And this very epistle declares, He that saith he abideth in him on himself also so to walk, even as he walked. What a standard is here set before us, after it. We should prayerfully and constantly strive. Fellowship is participation in the light and love of God. It is a refusing of the things he hates and a choosing of the things in which he delights. It is a losing of my will in his. It is going out of self, an embracing of God in Christ. It is the acceptance of his estimate of things, thinking his thoughts after him, viewing the world and all in it. Life, both present and future, from his viewpoint. It is therefore being molded into conformity with its holy nature. It is living to its glory. And thus it is a fellowship of joy, and the joy of our Lord is our strength, Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Strength, to overcome temptations, to perform the duties of life, to endure its sorrows and disappointments. The closer we walk with the Lord, the brighter will be the evidences of our divine sonship. Holy assurance delivers from those doubts and fears which robbed many a Christian of his legitimate joy in the Lord. This is clear from the contrast presented in Romans 8 verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Suspense is bad enough in any of our concerns, but most of all in connection with our eternal interests. But true assurance sets us free from the painful bondage of uncertainty and even robs death of its terrors. It enables a soul to say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Let us now very briefly discuss some of the fruits of assurance. Holy assurance produces patience and tribulation. And you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance, Hebrews 10, verse 34, where the heart is anchored in God, basking in the sunshine of its countenance. The Christian will not be afraid of evil tidings. He remains calm under bereavements, is unmoved by persecutions. When I live in a settled and steadfast assurance about the state of my soul, I think I am as bold as a lion. I can laugh at all tribulation. No afflictions daunt me, but when I am eclipsed in my comfort, I am so fearful of a spirit that I can run into a very mouse hole. Latimer Ridley, 1551 Holy assurance results in a joy in God which causes its possessor to despise those evil pleasures after which the world in so much dotes. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the pines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. 
the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, both now and in the future, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1, verses 10 and 11.